0: Hello and welcome to episode 111 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week we have an illustrious guest. Joining us is going to be none other than Sholo Marduena. You know him as a star actor from the TV show Cobra Kai. He has also featured in TV shows such as Parenthood, Twin Peaks, and many, many more. He's also a member of the Lone Lobos Podcast and is going to be gracing us with his presence in just a few moments. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week, representing the Vancouver Whitecaps, is going to be Samuel Rowan. He comes to us from at SB Nation's coverage of the Vancouver Whitecaps and also co-hosts the third sub-podcast, featuring all of your news on the Vancouver Whitecaps. But before we get into today's notes, let me go ahead and introduce our crew. Joining me as always, Christopher Sines and Christian Aparicio. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome.
1: rolling those R's really well, man. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, bro. That's got to be from your uh, Ontario Fury practice where you're calling all the names and stuff like
0: that, right? Dude, I had to do a whole read for the Fury in Spanish the other day. They gave me this whole script to read in Spanish, and I was like, "Y'all, y'all know I don't speak Spanish, right?" But uh, I crushed it. So yeah, I'm I'm feeling you know a little frisky about it.
1: Right on, dude. Right on. Always good to be back. Glad to talk with you guys after another win. We're going to get into the Miami recap. Away days are the best days. And looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing what we have this upcoming weekend against Vancouver and the return of Tristan Blackman.
2: Thank you for the welcome, Jonathan Reimer. Happy to be here. Happy to be talking footy once more. I want to, you know, talk about LAFC against Inter Miami. As they say in Calle Ocho, for those that were out there, big ups to the 3252 who showed up like they always do and looking forward to our interview with Sholo and also the opponent correspondent. So fun packed show. Looking forward to it.
0: Thank you, gentlemen. As always, my name is Jonathan Reimer. Y'all are listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Please give us a follow on all your social media platforms at LAFCS2S. And if you ever want to come on the show, Please shoot us a line. We would love to feature you as our guest for a future episode, and you can tell us your black and gold story. With that being said, gentlemen, the cat is out of the bag. LAFC win 2-0 versus the Herons of Inter-Miami. We took our first away day of the season, had an early morning, windy, rainy, blustery, hurricane-y like performance, and in a very, very ugly match, we were able to take two points from the Herons of Miami. The fight in David Beckhams go down. There's a lot to unpack about this game, so let's go ahead and dive into it. We have all of the 3252 support and all the various events that took place with the Inter Miami supporters out there, a kinship between two franchises, a statement to nonviolence, and really just setting an example for all the other teams out there across the league that for 90 minutes, yes, we will chant and cheer for you to lose. But outside of those 90 minutes, there's absolutely no reason we can't raise a pint, have a song, and enjoy each other's company. We mentioned the weather in this game, and man, was it horrific. I know I used that word about 40 times in the last episode, so so shouts to episode 110 there. We had an interesting starting 11. We had the debut of Donald Henry. We had Kim Moon-Wan back at right back for the injured Escobar. We had Opoku once again taking the start up front for the injured Chicho Arango. And there was a lot of stuff that happened throughout the course of this game. We had a couple amazing goals, some really fun stuff. So let's go ahead and dive into it, gentlemen. What are your immediate reactions to our dub versus Inter-Miami? Christian, we'll go ahead and start it off with you, brother.
2: Yeah, it was an interesting match. I don't think it was as clean in any way in terms of the way we wanted to play. Uh, The touches weren't clean, passes weren't clean. The tackling wasn't clean on both sides at different times in the game, but we ended up getting the result. And you know, from players that we didn't expect to be on the score sheet, game in and game out, but our front three core is deep. And Opoku and Shazuri Shroudy were able to give us some goals, really good moments in the game. So I was really happy about the result, the resolve, the approach, the being able to fight through adverse conditions, which started earlier in the game. During the first day of hour change, on the East Coast, halfway through the game, there's wind, there's rain. Um, it's just, it was a weird, weird match overall. But I'm just happy about the performance. The group really came through, and I think it feels like the culture is changing and the belief is there at the very
1: minimum in grinding out the results and performing defensively. It was a good match overall. I think that for sure, it wasn't the ten to zero win that you had speculated on Reimer last episode. You know, and I think that that was attributed to the fact that we had some players in the starting 11 that may not have been the first choice starter for the team sheet due to injuries or what have you. And it was an opportunity for some other players to get some additional minutes. But uh, like Christian said, getting the result is what was most important. The Mahala goal was uh, a really entertaining one, especially seeing the pass from Vela that got deflected and it just fell And he had the touch to control the ball and then shoot the goal to the goalie's right. And then the second goal from Tajiri Shradi, where he checked into the game, I think it was like 10 minutes before the goal. And you could see that the elements were definitely influencing the game. And in that specific goal, the wind, you know, it, it was a free kick where he's trying to place it inside the box. And it just carried and it went straight into the net. But ultimately, it was an entertaining game. And both of them were great goals to watch and watch replays of.
0: I loved the to Shradi goal just because of the freak nature of it. I mean, how often do you see a free kick go to the back post and no one touches it and it finds its way into the back of the net anyway. I mean, we've seen a couple of those throughout the course of LAFC's tenure, but it's a rare goal nonetheless. And whether he curled it or whether the wind pushed it, I don't care. I'm giving ITS credit for it. I, you know, I'm going to say he was shooting for that back post the whole time and, If someone got on it, great. There were a couple players inches away from it. That's probably what kept the keeper off the the shot anyway. And beautifully found its way into the back of the net. Love it. The Opoku goal, his speed, his composure on the ball to collect a deflected pass and still be able to fire from that angle, beat the keeper, and hit the back of the net. I'm so excited about what Opoku is going to bring to this team this year. I said it in our preseason podcast, and I stand by this, that Vela and Opoku are both going to be in the running for comeback player of the year at the end of the year. And so far, they have both played swimmingly. You have nothing but positives from Opoku's play, and obviously Vela dealing out dimes. It's already got a hat trick in the works for it. And in limited minutes, he has been showing up. This was a game that was certainly influenced by refereeing. Ted Uncle, T.O. Ted, a person that is infamous within the world of Major League Soccer for sometimes some bizarre calls, gave Brickshay a straight red for the takedown on Raito as he was last man coming forward. There's some people who felt that that should have just been a yellow. I think by the book, it's a straight red, clear as day. What often happens at that point in Ted Uncle games is that he gives a second yellow somewhat casually to another player just to even it out and with early yellows in that game i think we had early yellows for kim moon wan who got the yellow even though it was served to someone else early on in the game which was uh, a little confusing for some of us watching and ilia sanchez who were on early yellows i was really concerned That one of those two players was going to go in hard on a tackle and find themselves a second yellow just because Ted uncle does T.O. Ted things and and has the ability to affect games in that. And so despite the game being ugly, ugly throughout, especially those first 15 minutes, I mean, it was a brutal watch. Nobody could get a pass off every single through ball LAFC was putting was short. And it really looked like the elements, the wind, the humidity, and eventually the rain really affected the style of play in this game. And there are a lot of people out there in the Twitter sphere, and let's be honest, LAFC can't do something positive without a few negative comments, who are frustrated that LAFC played ugly soccer in this game. So my question to you guys is, would you rather we play beautiful soccer and have that affect the results and maybe come out of it with a tie, but be able to hang our hat on, we played beautiful soccer? Or are you okay with the Steve Cherundolo era starting out with ugly soccer that gets us results?
2: We need the results. I mean, last year, not winning enough ugly games kept us out of the playoffs and just by a smidge, right? So maybe one, two, three more matches where we pull out a draw, or grind out a win, where we're not playing – that free-flowing football that we were used to from the start of our first season in 2018. I think Vince says this in in his podcast, is it a little bit pragmatic? Maybe, maybe not. I think it's just the players are reading the transitions a little bit more effectively. And I know that that was something that Shereza focused on for this year. And I prefer being a little bit more strong in the back after those few years that we had of brilliant football and the last year and a half that we just couldn't get results. So... I prefer winning ugly than tying or losing in a beautiful way.
1: I think that I have to agree. I would rather take the points and win ugly. Uh, I think that winning beautifully is going to come. That's just going to come with time with the players continuing to get comfortable with each other, comforting with a style of play that Steve Terundolo is implementing and understanding where everybody's new roles are and and spacing and, and things like that. And even at the end of the day, you know what, if it never becomes beautiful and still continues to be ugly, that's I'm okay with that too. You know, the results are what's most important. And I think that the MLS that we have seen a few teams that have gone on and had good success in the league year to year uh, and having ugly wins on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, just look within the Western Conference at the Cascadian teams like Portland and Seattle that consistently – when they're playing a game where the beautiful game plan is not a recipe for success, find ways to get three points from games, period. And at the end of the year, when you're looking at the standings, all those ugly W's look exactly the same as beautiful W's. When you're looking at your standings at the end of the year. And so many times throughout the course of the Bob Bradley tenure, we were frustrated with the results, but happy with the style of play. And now that we're unhappy with the style of play, we just don't seem to be as happy with the results. And, and and I find it very frustrating that there's this catch-22 of it doesn't matter how we win a game. To me, personally, I don't care. Three points is all I care about. I, I said this in my conversations with Dolo himself when the thirty two fifty two had a sit-down with him that we don't care if we have to win ugly. We just want to win. And he said, good, because that's exactly how I want to coach this team. I don't care if I have to change my tactics to something less than beautiful football, if that's what it takes to win on the day. When you're playing a game in over 50% humidity at what is essentially 9 o'clock in the morning local time, 10 hours different from our normal start times, you've traveled five hours across the coast to get there, you've got rain and humidity and, and a mostly empty stadium that you have to play in to be able to grind out wins. We got a two nil shutout for our first away game of the year. I just it blows my mind that people still want to complain about that. But there were some other interesting stuff in this game. Kim won as a right back blessing coming in as the super sub once again at which he dominated his ability to shut down a game from that 70th minute on is still fantastic. It does not matter that. He's not getting the starts. He's always going to get the minutes and his ability to come in with those fresh legs and shut down a game are exactly what I want to see out of this game. So LAFC finished the week. At 2-0-1 for the season, we currently sit with seven points atop the Western Conference standings, LAFC number one in the West. We own the difference over RSL on a two-goal differential.
1: I wanted to ask you guys your quick opinion about this, too. You mentioned the record. Right now, we are zero and one and I had this conversation with Christian briefly over the weekend. What is your opinion of how our records should be displayed as in wins, ties, losses, or wins, losses, ties? On the Europeans, they do wins, ties, and then losses. Whereas here in America, we do wins, losses, ties. You know, I'm just trying to get your guys' opinion as to what you think is the, the better way to do it. According to the MLS standings on the MLS website, they list it as wins, losses, ties.
2: I'm used to the European or the international way. I know that's what I said on the phone, but if MLS does it a different way, we got to go and put the graphics and, you know, at least for me, get accustomed to interpreting the the three numbers and the two dashes in the same way that the MLS does. Um, right now it's easy because we don't have any losses. So, and I hope it stays that way. It, it, it's, it's unlikely. So, but now that we've had the conversation, it's going to be at the top of my mind where it's wins,
1: losses, than ties, but it is an yeah, adjustment it, for me and something I haven't really thought
2: about until you brought it up earlier last week.
1: It's like when you look at you know, and depending on where you see the the graphic of the records too, right? Like if you just do a Google search, I'm pretty sure that Google search comes up with the European wins, ties, losses. That's exactly right. Uh, so it, it you know you almost have to really identify how the website that you're looking at how it's displaying the the wins, ties, and losses.
0: I just am thankful of two things. One, that there's still a zero in that loss column for LAFC. And I don't care if it's the second number, or the third number, as long as that number is as low as possible, I can care less whether it's the second or third number. Uh, and then selfishly, lastly, uh, I'm just thankful that MLS and MASL do the same because I get confused enough on this show and on my broadcast in intermixing terms between MLS and MASL that, uh, I'm very thankful that both leagues do it the same way. So it's actually a little easier for me that Major League Soccer does it this way because Major Arena Soccer League does it the same way and that makes it easy for me to keep my MLS and my MASL stats uh, congruent in my mind uh, as I'm going into either podcast or broadcast. So uh, uh, that's that's my two cents on it. Do you guys have any final thoughts on the game before we get into news and notes?
2: I have one final thought. And I think this was talked about on the MLS broadly where um, the manager for Inter Miami threw Pipita Higuaín under the bus basically saying all their team's quality players have been able to perform and score and my players or our players haven't obviously there's only one player who's considered a star or top player or top finisher or quality player so it's just it's just interesting I'm glad you know that we got them on and this current form, and I don't know if that's going to spark or create more indignation in the in the locker room, but uh, it's just an interesting story that I'll kind of watch on the back burner to see if there's anything interesting that comes from that. If Pipita uh, takes this as motivation or he just, you know, c- continues to do what his contract says and collect those paychecks or just decides to leave because uh, there isn't an agreement with Mr. Neville.
0: So who's on the hotter seat, Phil Neville or Iguayin? if you're David Beckham right now?
2: Higuain, man. Neville and him are boys. If it wasn't Beckham,
1: then Neville
2: would be gone.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think that Iguayin, especially when you see that, even whether or not Higuain is giving effort, he appears to not be giving effort, right? Like we have no idea. We don't personally know him. We don't have no, but it's all hearsay speculation and and inferring via body language and things like that. But he is notorious. He comes in out of shape. He uh, has poor body language uh, on the pitch, off the pitch, in the locker room. So when you see someone who has that sort of R about them, if you bring in a, a different coach, there's no guarantee that that new coach is going to be able to motivate Iguain to get a better performance out of him whereas it's probably not very hard for Miami to reach out and find a new star player, a new star DP that wants to come to a city like Miami and play in the MLS for David Beckham and Phil Neville.
0: Yeah, they've had no problem finding DPs. Their problem has been finding roster slots for those DPs, let's be honest, Um, because they've got one that's just hanging around the club as an ambassador right now. Uh, That's just waiting to fill that DP slot once those uh, uh, sanctions are lifted from the team and and Blaise Matuidi can join them. So uh, I I agree. I would have to agree. Iguain is clearly playing himself out of town so far this season. And that's that's a sad state of affairs for a team that has all of the public eye, all of the MLS interest and, and is, you know, I mean, on the precipice of being a great team, were it not for as we discussed in the last show their own it's their own fault right they've made all these mistakes themselves they have no one to blame but themselves for putting the wrong things together and, and going about things the wrong way but uh, uh, my last thought on this game is I, I want to give a hats off to all my friends within the 3252. you guys once again continue to represent this club with such class and enthusiasm and the away support that we saw was hands down the loudest the most packed the most energetic corner of the stadium uh, and the fact that you continue to do so with uh, the morality behind the 3252 that we saw representing itself in all the community events and things that were going on out there in Miami that, uh, and Fort Lauderdale, I'm just really proud of how the 3252 showed itself on the first away day of the season. And I hope that momentum carries through the remainder of our way days. I-, I know some of those destinations are not, Quite as attractive as Miami might be. But with Orlando and a number of other away days coming up, it was great to see the 3252 get a dub on their first away day.
1: Let's be honest. Okay. The environment of these matches is important to a a spectator and someone who's going to go and follow their club. Even though Miami might be a great city to visit for the nightlife and the entertainment, going to that stadium in the weather that it was, how empty it was, It obviously looked like the 3252 had a great time in the support and the section that they were in, but that stadium, it lacked some of the actual football lore that you look to desire for from clubs that have the reputation of being able to bring an atmosphere. So I would rather go to a city that may not be as entertaining as a Miami if the environment and the stadium atmosphere is going to be a lot better.
0: Yeah, I you know, North Carolina, to me, not an attractive destination. But what we've seen out of, you know, Charlotte's support so far makes it a desirable location to go. No desire to go to Georgia, right? But Atlanta and their stadium and and what they've been able to bring in active support makes that a desirable destination for an away fan. So I I completely agree with you. My last thought on this game, just one thing that occurred to me was I love – how so many of the new players and the seasoned vets on this team are showing a, a renowned appreciation for the 3252 and seeing Max Kripo doing fist pumps with the away support after the game. And so many of these things just speaks to the signings being the right people with the right ideas uh, about how they should treat our away support. And the fact that so many of our players, new and old are embracing the support that they get. Just makes me so happy at the end of the day to, to be a part of this culture and this team. So uh, we mentioned LAFC currently sitting top of the table. In addition to those honors, we have Ilya Sanchez once again being named to Team of the Week. So Opoku, not there. Tuzuri Shradi, not there. So neither of our goal scorers got on. But respect to the work that Ilya Sanchez is doing in the midfield earned him those team of the week honors once again. So hats off to Ilya. Congratulations from all of us at S2S. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get into the transfer news because we've got a couple big rumors circulating around this team, and I want to get your thoughts on it. The first of which, perhaps the most public of the two, has been the imminent departure of Kim Moon-Wan. So he has been rumored to be heading back to the K-League to join, and I hope I'm saying this right, John Book? Hyundai. I don't know. Slim. Let me know if I got that one wrong. Spice uh, hit me up and, and correct my Korean. Cause I have no idea, but a rumored transfer fee of around $1 million, which would certainly best the 600 K we spent on him. Although this is transfer money coming in and it was target allocation money going out. So I might have to consult somebody to uh, do the equation, to figure out exactly how much that means in Garber bucks, if we're converting real bucks into it. But, uh, Look, What's Kim the on that? Yeah, I do. yeah, you got me. You got me. Kim Moon-Wan, 29 appearances now for the team. He's got one goal, one assist. Has partnered pretty well with Vela. We've experimented with him during the offseason in naming him a midfielder. Obviously, in his, his first start for us this season, he comes back in at right back. So unpack this for me. What are your guys' thoughts on the departure of Kim Moon-Wan back to the K-League? and what if anything that 1 million for 600,000 and tam means to you
1: i'm going to be honest i'm i'm disappointed i liked seeing kim moon hwan out, out on the pitch i was definitely a big advocate for him to be out there i thought that he had a great chemistry and was building a good chemistry with carlos Vela during the matches when carlos was healthy and then at the end of the season you know kim moon hwan was out with injury also but I think that it's hard. I think that being in this country, a country that you had never been to before, where the language is a total barrier and that you need to have an interpreter for everything. And there's no one else on the team that speaks the language other than the interpreter that's assigned to him trying to just have any kind of social life and things like that. It's probably a little bit more of a challenge than it would be for like a a player coming from South America or from England or countries where it's not as hard to speak a language that's similar to some of your teammates I wish him well I I think that when Ben Chi when we had Ben Chi on and he was talking about Kim Moon Won coming and uh, the the role that he was and how he represented the Korean culture you know I think there was a lot of high hopes and I hope that LAFC continues to try and find talent in Korea and in Asia and bringing them here to cuz I think that it's it's great for the club and um you know I just I wish him the best of luck if this really I mean it does it looks like it's almost practically a done deal. I'm sad, I'm disappointed. I would have liked to have seen him be in Los Angeles a little bit longer, but I understand you know how things play out and why they are the way they are.
2: I think with the manager change and system Prioritizing stability or predictability in the way we defend and transitions, I think his skill set is more suited to a run and gun or pedal to the metal offensive retain the ball style game. And we know when we experience him being exposed when we turn the ball over, and his attributes are more offensive. And although he plays right back, and that's where he played in the K League, and probably you know if he wins his spot, starting spot back at the national team. Um, where he wants to play, but I don't think the team is at a place where he's going to be getting a significant amount of minutes. It is a World Cup year. It is uh, a time for him to really showcase his talent, make a case for himself to be on the squad, number one, and two, to make a push to be a starter. And if he's not going to be top billing for that particular spot, whether it's the right back or somewhere in the midfield, then I think he does have to explore other options, And the most comfortable place and a place where he is a known commodity is the K-League, where he made his name. And the reason why LAFC noticed him was because of his outstanding performances out there. So all that is to say is he has to do what's best for him. And World Cups are every four years for now. And he has to make make that decision where um, he is at top of mind for observers in Korea and the manager that's making lineup decisions for the World Cup.
0: I think you hit the nail on the head. For Kim un this is about making the World Cup roster. And he has 10 times the opportunity to do that if he's playing in Korea. The signing of Escobar, the signing of Sanchez, the signing of Acosta, that sort of, Hollings said, that sort of said that his role at right back was already in question as we were considering him as a midfielder. But we've already brought in two new midfielders as well, too. Where are the minutes? Where's the spot for him in this roster? It took an injury for him to get a start. So, look, I I get it. He doesn't have a place in this new LAFC squad. His style of play does not fit Torundolo's style of having more defensive-minded and less offensive and pressing-minded outside backs. So, we have a system that doesn't fit him. We have a team where he has no place. And it's a World Cup year. We wish him the best of luck it's not a done deal yet. We're acting like he's already gone. I, I think our impressions are that uh, there is a lot of fire to the smoke around this conversation, given who's reported it and and some rumblings that we've heard from within the LAFC community that uh, there is some traction to this movement. So uh, if it ends up going at the end of the day, the dollar amounts good business for LAFC and it's good business for Kim win Won. So if you take care of the player and you take care of the club, That's good business. Uh, Players will come and go. I'm bummed for the Korean community and our friends in TSG who really felt like they had a player that they could identify with differently than the rest of this team. And so, you know, I, I don't think the door is closed for another Korean player to come here in the future. But I think this is good business for the club if it turns out that way. Speaking of business for LAFC, let's move on to the next rumored signing. So this one is a little a little more outside the realm of what we typically see from LAFC, but I think in our pre-show conversations we found a comp to this player that might make a little more sense. But LAFC are rumored to be in talks with Paulo Guerrero. He's a former Bayern Munich and Hamburg striker who is currently in Los Angeles and if rumors are to be believed, is in a meeting with Marco Garces, our new Director of Football Operations about joining LAFC. For those of you not familiar with that name, he is the captain and all time leading scorer for Team Peru. He is also the all time leading scorer in the history of Copa America. He's played not only for the teams aforementioned Bayern Munich and Hamburg, which obviously gives you the Chirondalo connection, but he's also played with Corinthians, Flamingo, and Internacional. He scored the 2012 game winning goal in the Club World Cup. However, he is 38 years young, which is not exactly the LaFC model. So I'm interested. Do you guys think there is a place for him in this team? And do you think there is any truth to these rumors?
2: I think there's a place for him in this team. He he's done important things in his career, like you mentioned, a lot of world-renowned clubs, uh, world-renowned trophies that he's won, and he's played, you know, in one of the top leagues in South America and one of the top leagues in Europe. Uh, What i also say is I'm trying to think like how would he fit in what situations and uh, ends of games. uh, I think you can bring him in. I think we only have Chicho to have as a kind of a holdup player. I think he does that really well. He could be big and strong. You can hold off defenders, bring the ball down and then allow runners on and good distribution. If you get him inside the six yard box or inside the 18, he has a strong shot. He has a strong header. So he would just need service. So I think at the end of a game, the last 10, 15 minutes, or if we go into an extra time into, in a playoff game, I think we're going to need someone like him that has experience, that only needs half a chance, or needs just a ball where we're just clearing something and it makes something happen to have runners on. So I think there's value in that. We've had BWP come at an older age and perform well. We've had Dio in this kind of super sub-striker role in the past. So I think if deployed correctly with the correct tactics or the correct situation, there's a lot of pedigree, a lot of experience, um, a lot of maybe locker room presence, especially with a large Latin American Latino influence in the locker room to be able to kind of uh, have someone that's an elder statesman to kind of put their arms around the rest of the players. Like, hey, I've done this at the highest level. We can do it here, too. So I think there's a lot of pluses. Of course, the age is not one of those. But I think that all the other things that I mentioned outweigh that. And if we get him on a on a free, obviously, from a transfer perspective, and then if the salary isn't, or if it's manageable, you know, it's not something that hits hard in terms of a salary cap. And I think if Kim Wan does depart, we get an international spot and we can flip some of that money into his salary. So I think if that domino falls, if that's true, then I think this one might be true as well.
1: Of course, I think this player is going to have a, a role on this team. I personally haven't seen too much of Palo Guerrero but just from the pedigree that we see you can tell that he has played at an extremely high level and and he's still and he's still performing. He still plays for Peru. So I think that there is a void that we have been looking for to fill since Dio and Bradley Wright Phillips, where it is this this really big, aggressive midfielder, and we have Chicho to come in, but I think it's finding a person to potentially be a role player or a backup, if you will, to the likes of somebody like Chicho or bringing them in for specific situations and things like that. And if Guerrero understands the role that he's coming in and he's willing to accept it, I think that it can be a great partnership.
0: If the Peruvian joins us for just a cup of coffees worth of minutes, then then I'm okay with it. If we're talking about a guy who's going to get less than 200 minutes this season, then I think we're fine with him being the one to see out the final 20 minutes of the game. That's where you want that veteran prowess. If we're talking about this person occupying a significant portion of salary or minutes, then we start getting into retirement league conversations, and I'm not a fan of that direction. But I think this is the appropriate way to use an aged star to bring them in for the last 10 to 20 minutes to see out the end of the game, to use that veteran savvy to sure, maybe find the back of the net, but maybe just be the more veteran minded player in those final few minutes of a match. And if the finances and roster construction piece of it work out to LAFC's advantage, then I'm all for the addition. But if we're talking about someone eating significant minutes or taking developmental minutes away from a Cal Jennings, a Quadwo Poku, a Danny Mazofsky, then you know there's a trade-off there. But it's also something to say that parking a Mazofsky, a Jennings, or whomever on a bench just for maybe 10 minutes a game might be holding the development back of those players, and they might be further developed if they spent significant minutes in Las Vegas. So it could benefit the academy and the system coming up as well, too, if he's the one taking those minutes as opposed to someone we're looking to develop. So there are some perks to this. All right, one final thing before we get into our interview with Cholo. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but LAFC, despite remaining undefeated, despite winning on the road, despite keeping a clean sheet, have actually dropped in the power rankings, and we are now down to six. We have dropped one place in the MLS power rankings, and it was based solely on the style of play. Do you think that that is a fair assessment to demote LAFC in the power rankings, despite facing all of the adverse conditions that we discussed, and picking up a 2-0 clean sheet on the road? Or are you as vehemently frustrated about a design?
2: I think the MLS podcast crew or the ones that put together this ranking, I think they're overcorrecting. I think that in the past couple years, they probably feel like they have some egg on their face with the promise and the style of play and the actual results and how high at times we were ranked. And I think uh, they hear it in the comments or in the mailbag or in the caller texts and because of that, they're holding maybe the same rubric where style of play is weighted maybe more heavily for LAFC than than others. And I think that part of that's going into why the rankings are the way they are. That's why I prefer for this week ESPN's rankings where, where MLS is, differs. That's six for us. We're first place with ESPNFC.com. So... That's who I'll be reading this week. I agree with them.
1: You know what? It's only the third week of the season. I don't care. You know, they could have us listed like down in the bottom in the cellar, bro. Down in the, you know, in the 20s. I don't care. My team is on top of the West right now. We're winning. We're getting results. Yes, we're not necessarily playing the best football that we probably could be. And yes, we're not playing smooth and we have not worked out the chemistry. But in the meantime, while we're working out the kinks, we're getting results. And it's not like we're not getting victories and not performing well. And we're then just hopeful that we're going to figure out what we're doing what we're doing wrong and we're going to get our act together. I think that this is the best case scenario. Especially when, again, you consider we brought, we hired Steve Turundello in like January, you know. And wh- I remember asking like one of the questions that when, when we had the interview uh, uh, with the, it was like a 3252 uh, season ticket holder member uh, when they were kind of like secretly announcing Steve before the official announcement of Steve. One of the questions that I had asked was like, hey, how do you feel about being hired with only six weeks until the season starts, you know, so he's only been with the club for like three months. So in that time,
0: well, well hold up. Let's be honest. He's been with the club longer than that. Well, I mean, he I'm was talking about working. System.
1: Yes, but I'm talking about working with the first team players. You know, when Bob was here, Steve wasn't out there giving direction. He was implementing whatever it was Bob wanted. Right here, he gets to run the show, and so with that, you know, he has to work on getting everybody on board with what his vision is and what his plan is. And so for the amount of time that we've had and the results that we've had, I'm okay with this. You know, what's my alternative given the circumstances?
0: Yeah, I I think you both make great points there. And I do think style of play is something that the MLS talking heads want to use in order to promote a more beautiful game here within the United States because they feel that that will attract eyes globally and and it is their mission to to maybe attract those global eyes whereas the folks at espn might just be simply considering who they think is going to take it home at the end but uh by the way that'll go ahead and wrap us up for our news and notes and we'll be right back with our interview with Sholo maridueña after this
3: hi guys my name is jaime camille and you're listening to the shoulder to
2: shoulder podcast and now for our interview we have no one other than Mariduena, actor. A lot of people know him as Miguel Diaz in Cobra Kai, but he's also been in Twin Peaks, Parenthood. He's also podcasting on the side, Lone Lobos podcast. And he's also upcoming Jaime Reyes in Blue Beetle. Shout out to that. And then many more things. So uh, follow him on Instagram, at solo Maridueña, at Lone Lobos. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, for
1: having me. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time out of your day. I know that with a lot of your career uh, it requires a lot of time and attention, so just the fact that you've been able to fit us in, we really
3: appreciate it. Oh no, dude, no, this is important. Stuff like this is important. I, I'm really glad to, you know, support people who are like minded and, and trying to like put make their voice heard. And, and I think this is super awesome. And and we have so much fun at the game. So like it was it was a no brainer. I was like, yeah, let's do this.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, so for some of our listeners who aren't familiar with the things that I mentioned at the intro, you know, give us a little bit of an overview and an arc to where you started and where we
3: are now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what's up, y'all? I'm Shola Lenya. I'm 20 years old. I've been, I've been doing acting, you know, in Los Angeles. I'm, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, uh, for like the better, the better part of like 10, 11 years now. And then I was doing it on the side for a bit as a means to pay for college. You know, the dream was always to, to go to college and, and, um, at the time i wanted to be a chemist and i was like this is what i'm going to do i'm going to you know eventually I ended up taking ap chem and i was like Sc- screw that i'm not i'm not going to be a chemist breaking bad was wrong it's not it's not awesome like that but in my junior year of high school i auditioned for cobra kai and that show really is like taken a life of its own if if you guys aren't familiar you know the show about the continuation of the original karate kid you know the 1984 film ralph Macchio, william zabka and the show really like took a life of its own. I, I really don't know what else to say, like, uh, or what other phrasing to use because it really was so unexpected. It felt like we had something special when we were recording, but like, the seeing how much that movie meant to people back in the back in the day, you know, is is really like, and even now, like that that movie has transcended generations, just you know, being passed down, you know, from parent to to you know, children and it's, it's it's really wild, and I'm, I'm so blessed for it, but, you know, now we got projects on the horizon that are super exciting, too, and that's kind of where we are now, and, and you know, I'm back in LA when we're not filming, so I gotta come to the games, you know, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge LAFC fan, you know, the Galaxy's cool, too, but for some reason, I don't know what it is, like, I, I grew up in, like, the El Sereno, kind of East LA area, and the Galaxy never really felt like a LA team, I, I don't know how to explain it, like, and it's not a diss or anything like that, but, for some reason it kind of felt like I don't know it, it, it I don't know how to explain it but when LFC came into town I was like oh snap like this this feels like home like this this like you walk into the stadium yeah you know 3252 you you like walk into that environment and it feels like oh you feel it in your chest you know so so think uh, you used a key word there it didn't feel it didn't feel right Right. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, it just it, it didn't it didn't feel right or it didn't yeah, it didn't feel right for LA at least and and yeah, LAFC just resonated and and we got season tickets now. You know, my my mom is a huge, you know, fan of soccer and and that kind of is, you know, generationally how how I've been kind of, you know, introduced to to the game of soccer and and all of that. Uh so so it's a it's a pleasure to get to come to the games, you know.
2: Yeah, shout out to to Cobra Kai. I mean, I lived in the Valley my whole life. Oh, yeah. like, I live like two, maybe three minutes from Ron fictional oh, like fictional building hey. where, uh, so I drive by it every day. So yeah, that series, I feel like it's brought back a lot of memories. I feel like uh, I've been able to spend time again and relive, like l- watching those VHS or yeah. AMC or yeah. you know, now there's a
1: new series I can spend time with like my parents.
2: And Absolutely. Yeah, right. yeah, you know cool. when
1: you would go by you know and see the green door on that apartment complex right there by the grocery store like i remember when i would shop back when it was called lucky's man even before it was in albertson's right mm-hmm. you would go, and my dad pointed at me when i was a little kid going down sherman way he goes hey that's that's where mr miyagi's house was man so it's like yeah oh, it was
3: definitely
1: definitely and to think of we those.
3: and to think we film it in georgia now <laughs> i know it's in atlanta
1: <laughs> i looked it up we're
3: like <laughs> you're like what the heck yeah. yeah but
1: uh it's but still you know i think my favorite billboard that came out uh recently after the netflix series was that uh i saw a billboard that says if you don't know martial arts don't come to the valley
3: oh right. yeah <laughs> dude no dude that's that's right over there on what is it is it is it sunset yeah when you when you drive all the way down yeah, yeah. sunset over over by all those billboards netflix has that that yeah. billboard right there I'm also Um, glad Netflix picked it up because I know that was kind of teetering for a little bit. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's funny you say that, you know, after after season three, like we had filmed season three thinking like, all right that was a cool show. Like that was, that was really fun. But, you know, YouTube premium at the time, it just said like, we're kind of done doing scripted stuff. Like we, we feel right. like we have more a more a more competitive edge on the, on the reality side. So we're just going to stick to that. And it was kind of just like, all right, cool. And then we finished and we had like a whole year off. We got picked up by by Netflix and it was like a Phoenix, bro. It was like a Phoenix out of the, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was really it I had felt like this show was big before, but what I realized now is that like that was a cult audience. Like if you enjoyed the Karate Kid enough to be like, I'm gonna pay for this extra subscription and watch this show, then then that was our audience. And it felt so intense because those people were like diehard fans of the of the Karate Kid. But once we hit Netflix, I kid you not, man, in like in like a day overnight, like it dropped and then the next morning. I like I'm checking my phone. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And it just, you know, it's funny because I, I reminisce when we first booked the show, like the the creators, the showrunners were like, hey, you guys don't know it yet. But like this show, what we have is going to be so special. And they were right. Like, even when we hit YouTube, it was so special. And then when we were moving to Netflix, they were like, yo, guys, your life is about to change right here. And I thought, you know, and this is not a diss at all. And I thought like, okay, like this is, this is going to be the next level. But like, I have no comparison. I've never, Cobra Kai was the biggest thing i had worked up onto that point. So I have no, I can't even fathom what the ceiling looks like. Like it, it feels like it's here. And then you don't like, you can't really see. And yeah, just overnight it was so immense, and and I'm so glad that we can share like the story with the rest of the world. But it's funny because we had filmed like that first season like three years prior. So people were like, damn, that kid doesn't even look the same. Like, what the heck? Like, why is he wearing glasses? Why is his hair long? <laughs> like, uh, this isn't Miguel. But but uh but yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's all it's all been super serendipitous, man. It's 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 been very wonderful, and I'm very blessed, and and I'm glad to uh, you know, kind of stay stay local and stay like with you know I live with my family like uh, it's it's that that's been like the thing that grounds me the most is his family for sure and I don't know if it's because I'm Latino but I feel like I'm never getting out of this house I'm like <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I know I mean, the I mean, feeling <laughs> it's funny like I remember being a kid and my mom was like you're gonna go to New York to go to college you're gonna travel the world da, da, da. and like as high school and like college started to come around she was like don't you just want to like go to PCC and like, you know, like stay close to home or like go, go to ELAC or something like that. And and I ended up doing it. I was like, yeah, I, I do. You realize but, even if you
2: get your own house, they're going to be over and around a lot.
3: They'll be like, oh my gosh, the place next door is, they're, they're selling the house. Oh, it's we for sale. Right oh, yeah. In. You we, move move in? In. <laughs> we
1: moved right in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you you mentioned it a little bit about uh, how you originally wanted to be a chemist and then you got into acting. What was it that made you feel like acting was your calling and make that transition from pursuing an education with chemistry as your main focus to now shifting gears and focusing really on your acting career and trying to make that leap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happened probably
3: like four years into acting, honestly, you know, like, Uh, no, no, no. I, I'd say maybe like three, three, three or four years into acting, you know, I, it had started off as like modeling and, and, uh, commercials and stuff like that. And that, you know, as a, as a 10, 11 year old feels fulfilling, like, is like, this is cool. Like, I (laughs) like, you don't really understand it. You have no sense of like, really, you have no sense of like finances or, like worry about what I'm going to do for jobs or worry about like like there's there's so at least at that point it felt like there were so little worries that it was like this is cool like my mom says that I can pay for this thing that I want to do and I have fun doing this stuff like but once like there's a very as at least as a child there's a super clear I feel like ceiling when it comes to, you know, commercials and, and print and stuff like that, unless you're like the progressive flow or like the at t woman, it's like, it's, it's, it's very sporadic. And, you know, I'd watched Men in Black maybe 200 times. Like that movie really is like, oh my God, I love that movie. And, uh, I remember just thinking like, my mom had a friend who was, who was, you know, an agent and she was like, we should try this. So we ended up trying it. And I, I worked on parenthood and, and I worked on that for three, three and a half years. And I'd say by the end of that, that's when I realized like, this is what I want to do. Being surrounded by so many people who like, it wasn't their side hustle. It was my side hustle at that time. I was like, I'm doing this. Like, this is, this is a fun way to be proactive and like, you know, go to college. But I was looking around at like, Mr. Incredible the voice of Mr. Incredible or Dax Shepard like you know or like all of these people that I was working with and I was like like this is their life and they get to do this every day and like be different characters and one movie they're doing Adam Sandler comedies and the next movie is like a serious you know A24 drama and I was like that's what I want to do. And then, you know, I got into high school and it was like a dry period. I was like not working at all. It was like, I don't know if it was the acne or the braces or what, but they were like, this kid is not it. They were like, he's not the cute little brown bean he was as a 10-year-old. He's like a weird adolescent rat with a mustache now. So we're gonna we're gonna put him off to the side for a little bit. But but then, you know, I I I kind of I got I got the cobra. Kai. They they really took a chance on me. It, it really was like I am. Really grateful that they gave a chance because I was under eighteen, and it's kind of a hard process to explain. But when you're under eighteen, like the laws around getting to film are very different. They're so much more strict. You know, like the kids totally get like you you can only work for three hours, and then you have to take like an hour break. The you know like stuff like that. So usually, unless you have to film with a kid, it's like screw that. Let's just hire someone over the age of eighteen that looks younger but they took a chance on me and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, this is awesome. And we moved out to Atlanta and it was, it was the, the dream. And, and then, and then now it's like, for sure, this is, there's, there's no doubt about it. Now it's like, how do I do other stuff in this industry? Like now I want to get behind the camera. And it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a virus in that, in that way.
2: You mentioned that you grew up in that Northeast LA, El Sereno area. Talk about, you know, your childhood before you started acting and, and since then How how's, how would you...
3: Um, describe that to the audience. I grew up with my, my family in, in El Sereno for like the first like five years of my life and then we moved to Vegas for a year and then we ended up coming back. But I've spent most of my life in in over in East LA and it really is I don't mean to like stand on my soapbox for too long but but being in a community that's so Latino is like it it really put into perspective, like being put into, like now getting to work in this industry that's pretty predominantly, like, not Latino. I should say, like it's it really puts it into perspective, and and it's oh my god, like I'm so I'm so glad that I get to that I get to live around people that look like me and sound like me and and whatnot. It's 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 so rewarding to get to come back home and and be around to like people that are like myself. But man, I I love it. I went to you know El Salvador middle school, like I right over there right off of Huntington like we it's it's the taco trucks out there are great you take a quick 15 minute drive to Boyle Heights you're you're having slamming or you're driving like 10 minutes to Highland Park and you it's like it it feels super central you want some you know some Asian food head over to Alhambra you know like it's it's really like a nice little pocket of Los Angeles and you know as getting older you start to like drive around other parts of Los Angeles I'm like dang I really like East LA like it it really has like a it has like such a nice warm heart like it you drive over to you drive over to Venice or something like that you're like I I don't
4: know if I like Venice
3: you know but 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 you know you but yeah right over there off of Sussex Shadows you're like hey this is cool this is cool but yeah so and yeah we're still we're still over there you know in
2: in East LA, of course, you got exposed to football, soccer, football oh yeah from, from day one. But you know, yeah. your your background is Mexican, Cuban, Ecuadorian. So yeah. the Cuban part, is it baseball in there at all? Or is it pure football? <laughs> no.
3: well, you know what's funny about that? I suck at soccer. Oh man, <laughs> you would think you would think I have two left feet the way that I play soccer. And and I remember I have such a vivid like memory of it. It, it was me and my mom for like the first like six ish years of my life and and I remember she started talking to you know the guy who's now my dad and I remember he came to one of my games and I was like the dude I was like the dude who picked flowers off the ground when it came to playing soccer like I could like I, I knew that I was bad at that point so I was like let me just I'm gonna just cut my losses here and, and have some fun with this and I remember I saw him and I was like Omar and instantly like I looked away and Boom! Like the soccer ball just bam, slam in my face. Damn! If if Instagram was a bigger thing, it would have been a world star video, dude. I, dude, I, I I remember it. It felt like I was flying, man. I was, I I just remember getting clocked in the face, and after that, I was like, I don't want to like say what you will, but this maybe is not for me. So then I started playing baseball and. Um, and I played that for yeah for like a good minute and then the ball started getting thrown super fast and I was like okay this is this is all sticks acting <laughs> like I this is let me let me not mess up my face like trying to trying to do some stuff but but you know now I now shoot like now with the homies we play basketball we play like we play everything now just just for fun
2: upcoming um, world cup who are you rooting for
3: oh man um hot seat hot seat a hot seat. I need to, I need to even see the teams. I'm not even like, I'm so locked in right now. Who are the, I mean, if many, like if, if all it's Mexico is definitely the, the team that I'm going for them in. I mean, like, so my mother is hundred percent Mexican and then my biological father is Cuban and Ecuadorian. So I just like living around my mom, You, I connected with the Mexican side way more. And like that, the Mexican family is the family that's out here. You know, my dad now is Mexican. So like that and living out here and, you know, if I lived in Miami, maybe it'd be different. Maybe I'd be like, you know, we're, we're going to, we're waiting for Cuba or, or Ecuador. Cuba or never makes like, it, but Ecuador does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, a real yeah. question. <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, it's definitely, definitely Mexico. Okay.
2: Uh, well, no one is qualified yet, but Mexico, U.S. and Canada the front runners. There we go. There sure. we go u.s u.s national team my parents are Salvadoran, so i root for them against everybody but yeah. they never make it so
3: yeah
1: <laughs> yeah exactly
2: Haven't made, made it since honestly, 1982 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, mexico yeah, always sorry. makes it to be honest i've never they've never not made it since yeah. my
1: being alive but yeah the uh, u.s national team for myself and uh you know that's just you know born here and born here and raised so here they- and you know, my, both my parents were born here in Los Angeles also. So it's, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, but, uh, I mean, there was a brief period in my life where I rooted for the Mexican team because the United States wasn't as good, you know, but it it was before you really had that, like identification. It yeah. wasn't like, I didn't identify with one or the other. It was just, you know, you, you're a kid growing up and you see that Mexico does well. And you're like, Oh, well, I'm, I know I'm half Mexican, so, you know, I'll root yeah, for Mexico. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, but no, I, I support the United States
3: men's national team. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. my mom, my my grandfather actually played for the Mexico team, for the Mexico national team uh, way back when. Um, so that's that's kind of her introduction to, to soccer. And then she went over down to she went over to college and over at UNAM over in uh, Mexico City. So she, then like she, you
2: know, that's a big deal. Speaking of UNAM, they just made the CONCACAF Champions League uh, semifinals. I don't know if you oh, know.
3: No,
1: no, 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 I didn't.
2: They're one oh, of the sad. final four teams in the region. Two other MLS teams are in right now: oh, um, New York City FC and uh, the other team was I th- uh, Seattle. Seattle. They just yeah they just got oh, in today. Sad. So one more team oh, remaining. Shit. We'll see. But Pumas could be the champion. They might be number by MLS teams. We'll we'll see. Dude, yeah, I you saw you.
1: No, I've never. Dude. Have you, Christian, ever Did been to Pumas home home match? No, I want to. Uh, I I want to. Um,
2: Ciudad de Mexico 2019, I was out there and I went to Oaxaca and Ciudad de Mexico and beautiful city, obviously football is big. So everybody wearing New yeah. Jersey, Cruz Azul, America, Pumas. So it was a big deal. So I, I do want to watch at least Pumas play America at Pumas. I want to go to, you know, Estadio Azteca and see a game there. Cruz Azul, America. Oh heck yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember at the all-star, uh, the all-star uh, event, you had you had shown up and you were wearing like an old throwback
3: pumas like shirt that's my yeah that's my mom's yeah 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 oh yeah yeah that that, was I remember I think that might have even been her dad's yeah yeah he was a little guy (laughs) but it was definitely you (laughs) know
1: (laughs) you look up close and it it was like nice quality made and
3: it's held up really well you know Dude, yeah, that thing is. I remember I got home that day and she was like, give it back to me. Yeah. <laughs> now I gotta hang it back up again. She's like, hey, I was like, I didn't ruin it. I was like, no, I would made sure we were, no, it was I kept it crispy. I was, yeah, I wasn't gonna. Spill wine on it or anything.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the physical demands uh, for your role in in Cobra Kai as Miguel and as your future role as Jaime in uh, Blue Beetle. It does require a lot of training. In what way is this training, have you received similar to being a professional athlete at any scale?
3: Oh man, Um, training for Blue Beetle has been a little bit different than training for Cobra Kai. You know, training for Cobra Kai is a lot of like, learning how to do karate and learning how to like work different you know art forms within or like different martial arts, right? And it's a lot of choreography. It's a lot of like kickboxing and whatnot. And the training for Blue Beetle is more like I have to like put on weight and like be in the gym, not like out and about like practicing like whatnot. I'm sure when we start filming for Blue Beetle, it'll 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 start to feel a little bit more like Cobra Kai, where it's like, all right, let's get into the choreo of it all. But I, yeah, I don't I don't think it's I yeah I don't want to I don't want to ever say like yes I'm a professional athlete <laughs> like you know that sounds that sounds so pompous to say like oh, <laughs> yeah yeah like oh yeah like Neymar yeah yeah like we could yeah we could keep up like that's no big deal like but but you know it is it coming from all throughout high school, I played tennis. Like that was the one that I played the most consistently. I I love tennis. And the training that I'm doing now feels way harder than that. Like then like training for a sport, like I did cross country too. Like it feels way harder than that. But I think it's just because like, I'm a, like a, just naturally a pretty small guy. So like trying to put on weight, dude, I'm like, I'm like shoveling Turkey in my mouth, like trying to like, dude, it's, it's, you like I it's so crazy to be like I started at like 135 ish and like trying to like climb up and be like 160 by the end of it is like it's it's crazy to think of because I've been like I've been over 160 before but it's been just like that was like right when I'm like I, I moved out for like two years over the, or like over the pandemic or right before the pandemic, I, I moved out and through the pandemic, I was, I was living alone and that, that I was like well over 160, but then like trying to get to 160 where you're like bulking up is, is uh, it's it's difficult, but it's so rewarding to like, to, I've never, it's odd to say, but there's been very few things, you know, that one can like, truly say, like, I've completed this, you know, like, I, at least myself, like, I'm very much like a passion for, like, 75%, and then it's just, like, all right, I don't finish it, I, and it's, like, a blessing and a curse, because I get to, like, be, like, great at chess for two months, and then, like, I do something else, but, like, to kind of consistently do something has been, it's been, like, kind of one of the first times in my life that I've been, like,
4: Oh
1: Cool. Yeah, following through and seeing something in its entirety is definitely one of the most rewarding things to do. Yes, you should crazy. really think about you should think about documenting this cuz I, you know, back geez now like maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I used to go to Comic-Con on a regular basis and this was around the time like when 300 was done and uh Gerard Butler had talked about uh his transformation into uh Leonidas, right, in 300 and it was something that was just fascinating and people asked all sorts of questions. I mean, you really should consider trying to document it and show the progress. So that way you could go back and and show people, you know, where you started, how you got there, the amount of work and effort, because you know, it's one thing to see somebody make a transition on screen, mm-hmm. but then to actually know the amount of effort and work that goes into making it and how hard it is and the amount of discipline that you have to have, those are I
3: mean it, like you said it's one of the most rewarding things to feel once you've actually accomplished something like that. No, for sure. And, and I think honestly that's what like the main appeal to doing a podcast was was like me and my buddy were were Jacob the dude with the mohawk on on Cobra Kai like we were sitting around just thinking like dang like people online tend to like with hate to like say the word celebrity or stuff like that but like really tend to like idolize celebrities and say things like I love you or like oh these things but I'm like whoa you guys really don't like know me like I and it's weird to say but like yeah maybe you know the character that I play or like this this and that and it's those like um I don't know the word for it but like those types of relationships I was like dude I like I just want people to know us. Like I, if, if people are going to say like, Hey, we like you, like I'd rather have them, like, I'd rather have them know like a little bit more or something like that, because I don't know you. Cause then, cause the, the funny thing is like the, on the opposite side of that, like the dude who plays Johnny, the main character in Cobra Kai, who's the villain in the, in the OG Cobra and the OG karate kid. Right. People hated him because, because he was that villain in that movie. People like he would go to comic cons. Right. Right. Oh, like, and people would he would get up on stage and people would boo him, and he was like, "Dude, it's a movie. Like, it's not real life." He's like, "Dude, he's like, this is," and people like that happens to people all the time.
1: Yeah, it's a you know, I I do have to say that uh, the 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 fans that are really into cult movies or cult TV shows or what have you, they tend to be the most die hard (laughs) and their emotions are just on their sleeve about characters. And they let those characters know, but you know what his character though, He did such a good job of being the villain that for him to be able to have people feel that way about him as an individual. I mean, it's just good. That's just a credit to him.
3: No, no. And, and that, and, and honestly, like as uh, being on the receiving end, you have to learn that very quickly. Otherwise it just eats out at you. Right. Then you're like, Oh my God, people don't like me, but you have to learn very quickly. It's not personal. Like people don't know me like, and that's, and that's like, and that's like, when you, when, when, yeah, like the critiques and stuff like that, like it's, it's sure whatever right but but the podcast was really a great outlet and and like kind of what you're talking about documenting like they're seeing this like we started the podcast before I even knew about you know or like before I, I had even booked Blue Beetle right so like to kind of see that transformation and see like week by week you know both of us like talking about whether it's current events and like stuff happening in the world or like stuff going on in our lives it's it's really awesome to like get to see that transformation and and uh like kind of just journey and to see like the highs and lows and and uh, you know we we don't get super like the, the the other thing that I enjoy about it is it it lets people like know about us or like get our essence the way we talk about like current events like stuff happening like without knowing my deepest darkest secrets right like they're not I'm not talking about my grandmother's name and like you know exactly where I live and stuff like that it's not like people are like I know everything about Sholo but they at least know like how I present myself or like stuff aside from from the character and it's and it's uh that's been like that's been super rewarding as well and and I love taking pictures and stuff like that so I'm yeah I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for documenting it especially when everyone has a phone in their pocket it's like dude like take a picture or, or record. I'm dude, I'm recording voice memos all day. Like I'm, I'm like in the notes app or whatever, just like boom, boom, boom. Cause well, A, cause my memory is terrible, you know, but well, yeah, I'd, so. I'd say the current actor has a lot of access
2: that's newer right, within the last decade to give access yeah. to, to mm-hmm. the fans, right? They admire your work and sometimes like you're saying, they don't know you. So having the medium of being able to have a podcast um, or a blog or Twitter or Instagram, it's, it gives you just another angle to how you live. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. It's it's like a yeah. It's like a nice. It's like a yeah. It's it's really cool. It has its moments, you know, like everything does. But but yeah, yeah. It's it's. I really love it. I love the podcast. And
2: also the podcast. I, at least this is how I feel about us doing it. I know that I stunk when we started this. Like, there's a progression of conversation. Yeah, We're just oh, feeling yeah, comfortable. Over time, and there's a shyness that you get over. um, You know, we're not trained actors. We just, uh, our conversations feel more natural now. So, I mean, we have the confidence to be able to speak to people such as yourself, especially when we have the same passion uh, for the same team in the same city. Speaking of which, what would you tell Jacob? Is Jacob not an LAFC fan? If not, how do we make him an LAFC fan? How do we get him on the podcast?
3: No, he, he is. He is. He just lives far. He lives all the way over on like the east side, on the east, east. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't need to say the city, but yeah, he yeah. was like way, way out there. So he's just not like over in L.A. Often we live super close. It's like whoop, just hop on, the, hop on the freeway. But, but no, yeah, he loves soccer. He, on the other hand, is really good at soccer. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. I remember we play like King Scub. We play, we play all the games, and I'm like, I always, I always get stuck on his or he always gets stuck on my team. I should say because I'm like the handicap. So they're like, all right, put Jacob on his team, and it kind of like offset offsets the the you know the the equilibrium but but uh yeah it's it's yeah no he's a he's a huge soccer head as well and uh you know he he loves the team I think I think he's he's totally been to an LAFC game because we have season tickets and I know he used them but I everything dude everything whenever someone heads to the stadium for the first time all I ever hear is thirty two fifty two. Like what, like that I'm convinced no one has ever experienced something like that until they experience it. Like it's, it's one of those, it's, there's no like, diet 3252 or like there there's nothing it's yeah it's like having a mexican coke like yeah you could have like the (laughs) the one that you get in the plastic or at the 7-eleven but like dude there's there's
2: nothing better than you know what what a great segue you know the next thing we wanted to ask you about is your very first experience at lafc game and i i have a feeling you're going to mention 3252 but i want you to you know walk us through getting to the gate Walking through the gate and then seeing the pitch, seeing the 32-52, and then actually, you know, the game.
3: Dude, yeah. I mean, I we my mom was like, we're getting season tickets before the stadium was like even finished. She was like, I can already tell that this is gonna be so awesome for the city. Like we need to, we need to support this from the get-go. Cause like when stuff like this happens, if it fails like at the beginning, then it's just like a wrap. It's like with uh, think, this industry, like so many things are so fickle that it's like, if they don't work right away, if they're not lucrative right away or whatever it is, right, whatever their goal is, if it doesn't happen right away, they're like, ooh, onto the next thing. Like the attention span is so small that that like everyone that was in support of LAFC and like, like er- everything, seeing how it was happening, it felt so authentic that it was like, we got to do this. So we get, you know, season tickets. I didn't get a chance to go to the very first game ever. My mother did. She will rave about it, right? She was like, yeah, she's she's super, super excited about it. But I think I got in a, a few games in and the first thing I the first thing I like remember thinking was like, this feels like a small stadium. I was like, it it feels like compact, just like from the outside. I was like, huh, this like this feels like a small stadium. And then walking in, you're like, whoa, it's like it, you like there's some, it's it's crazy because it's big, but there's like no bad seats. It's wild, like we've sat all the way at the top and I'm like, oh, I could see everything fine. And, but it, it's like, but it it feels like intimate and loud. Like that's that's the thing that I remember. I remember like the first time we sat over, we were sitting, Christian, right? Or yeah, we were sitting like right behind, I can't tell if it's like your left shoulder, but yeah, like right, right, be- oh, the other, yeah, the other shoulder. And I just remember being like, yeah, people listening are going to be like. On the, the West side. On the west, yeah. side the- <laughs> on the west side. On the West right, side. Yeah, right. Right, above, right above the
2: Figueroa
1: <laughs> Club.
3: And- yeah. yeah right, sane, there we go. People are going to be like, what? He was sitting on his shoulder? What? what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Sorry sorry about that. But but I just remember thinking, like, does this happen every game? Like, did I come to, like, some special, like, it, did, was there, like, a, a, like, a uh, I don't even know what I would call it like a
2: special giveaway or something.
3: Yeah. Like, was it, what was it? Like, wh- who is he is usher here? What's happening. Uh, and my mom was like, no, this is every game. Like this is like the, 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 way that she was describing it. And I, and I'm sure you guys can describe it way better. Is She was saying that it was like the utmost, like the fans who were just like day ones who were like, we want to start supporting. We want to start like doing this thing. And, and it grew into something so much larger and, and i mean dude like the and then getting to you know getting to you know meet you guys i mean this was like that must have been like one or two years later like last year or or like post well of the pandemic right like getting to be down on the field and stuff like that that's crazy like getting to getting to go i remember we went up into like the the 252. I was, we were with Joe and like we were in, in the mix of it all. I was like, this is a workout. Like, this is, this is sick. This is, this is amazing. And it's, it, yeah, it feels like being in the eye of the storm. Like, it's, it's honestly like it feels louder on the, I guess, obviously, right? Like it feels louder on the receiving end than like when you're in it. You're, but it's, yeah, it's, I love it. And, and, and now, you know, getting, getting season tickets, it's, you know, my, my mother goes all the time. I, I try to make it when I can, but it's it's really fun man and once the parking gets better over there it's gonna be really it's no it's 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 a fun time and it's really yeah but my favorite part is is taking people and seeing them react to to yeah the the club over there and just being like whoa I want to I want to be a part of it how do I it's it's like no 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 it's not just hey it's not like you can't this isn't like you know.
1: I t- I, t- I totally understand that, right? Like, you take yeah. people that are first timers, and I sit, I sit right around there in the fig- I sit in the Figaro Club, and you know, especially two matches ago, there was a one minute of silence at the very beginning, uh, because of the um, the the game of the Atlas, the Atlas fans and stuff like that in, in Mexico. And a minute into the match, there was a guy that I was with, and the thirty two fifty two started a minute in, and they just like it was a big drum Corruption, and they were loud, yeah. right? And uh, you just see the reaction, and then people are like, Man, how do I go over there? And it's like, Hey man, you need to earn some stripes yeah, before you right. go yeah, into yeah, the 3252, yeah. right? You need to learn the chance and you need to learn, you know, um how to participate in active support, and it's not a place for you to you know take your phone out and film yeah, everything, right? It's like not you've like, got to be there. Yeah, for it's the, not like going your, to the
3: players. Oh, no, for sure, for sure. It's not like going to church on Easter it's not like you <laughs> it's, it's not like you can't just like go once and be like all right let's do it and even myself I mean even getting to be there I was like I do not feel like I feel like an outsider in here but I was trying my best you know to like be a part of it but no I mean it's it it really is an experience like no other and I would implore I mean I'm sure I'd like to think that a lot of the people that listen to the, you know the podcast love soccer and if you love soccer and like are passionate or not even if you're dude I'm convinced actually actually I take all of that back I'm convinced if you like anything about anything you will enjoy like the experience because it's it's yeah it's it's super dope and I've never experienced anything like it so uh, yeah I've yet to go to yeah, we went, I went at the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl wasn't even that crazy, wasn't even that pumped. <laughs> and it was L.A. and that was the L.A. Rams. It was the first time they ever went to the, the like that was the first Super Bowl in the stadium. And it wasn't even going as hard as as 3252. And that's yeah, that's yeah, it, it's it's a fun time.
2: We know we know you're a busy guy. What are your thoughts
3: on the team for this season? <laughs> Yeah, we were we were chopping it up a little bit back, uh, before the podcast, but I I haven't had a chance to go to one of the games this season, I should say. But and because of that, like I I I can't like watch the games in their entirety and and be like, all right, let's see like how the team is moving. But you know, from what you guys were talking about, the you know, kind of the just being on the receiving end of like being able to watch the games and seeing how the game is kind of changing and in, in terms of like how the the game is being played. I'm excited for it, man. I, it's, it's so cool to see teams, you know, react well to change. It's, uh, you know, having a team that can be resilient and not just like crumble at the very first, like, you know, uh, like moment of doubt, right? Like this moment of like, gosh, like something's not working. We need to, we need to you know, mix it up. Right teams that can like all right let's let's try something new those are like the most fun teams to watch because it's because it never gets old it's not like it's not like watching Mayweather where it's like all right I know this is going to go to the end and it's going to go to decisions and he's going to win in points and yada yada yada. it's like it's it's nice to to watch a game that like that's why it's right like the that's what I feel like is fun about soccer and and I'm here for it you know as long as you know I, I'm, I'm convinced that, you know, is like, no matter what, like if you're going to be a fan of the team, you got to be a fan of them when they're winning and they're losing regardless. Right. Like you can't just be like, all right, they're winning now I'm on their side and they're losing all that. Now, now now it's galaxy time. You know what I'm saying? Like, never like yeah. Yeah. So, so honestly, like the, with, with the coaching and stuff like that, I, I'm a supporter regardless. Right. So, so if the team feels like it's the right, if like the the higher ups or whoever's making the decision feels like it's the right move, then yeah. Who am I to be like, they should have, they should have never changed this or or whatever. It's like the the dude watching the Olympics. who's like, Oh my God, (laughs) they're they're, they're losing. Right. Like it's, it's a, it's like, I don't know. It's I'll leave it to the professionals. Like I, I, I just like watching the game. (laughs) I'm, I'm here to, to, you know, chant and scream my head off, you know, Uh, Based on
2: the, the, the things that your mom has told you and the one minute pitch that we gave you that the season's trending in the right direction, What are, what do you think we're doing playoffs championship? What is, what is the
3: show low? Oh man. I'm all picture. like, dude, I, I, I'm convinced that like you, you got to go hard every year. And, and I, and I think from like, just hearing what you guys are talking about, we, I was talking about it before, but when like a fire gets lit up under a team where it's like, all right, what, what, you know, there's times where you just have to reflect and be like, something didn't work back there, but we're changing it and to, to see that work, I feel like it's just a snowball effect. And and that's what honestly I feel like is going to happen here. Like when, when you start to develop that confidence, Oh man, like that's half the game itself is like, is that intimidation? Like, you know, I mean, that's, you, you see that with teams all the time where it's like, dude, when a team is hot and that stadium is lit and you're, and the opposite team comes into that stadium, dude, it's like, there's, they need like, there's, probably therapy exactly for that for like 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 that feeling right like the, and and i'm convinced that yeah this is we we got to this is yeah every year has to be the year and and i'm I'm a huge supporter i think we're gonna go all the way
1: you know you've been very gracious with your time uh and we just have
3: two final questions yeah, for um, sure. Bro. you
1: know other than blue beetle are there any other future projects that we should be on the lookout for um and definitely Uh, Obviously, Blue Beetle is going to be uh, in theaters uh, in the near future. But uh, you know, what are some of the projects that you have on the
3: horizon? On the horizon, man. I mean, Cobra Kai just came out um, in January. The fourth season, the fifth season will come out. um, But we already finished the fifth season, so that'll be. That's just like that's on the horizon. You know, Blue Beetle comes out next year, and then I'd say you know, aside from that, the podcast is a thing that has like that is in it like. Blue Beetle is in first position, or our family is in first position, and then Blue Beetle is like the second focus. And then the podcast is kind of like the next thing. It's been, it's been such like a, it's been the most like personal project I've ever done, right? Cause we're, it's, we're really just ourselves. We're just like talking about, like, we're just, you know, shooting the breeze. So it's, it's, it really feels like the, yeah, the most personal thing we've ever done. And because of that, it's so fun to like put effort in and like think of funny bits that we can do or like, like fun stuff. It's, it really is you know, I don't know, like, this, because this industry is so, uh like, there's hot patches, there's cold, you know, like, there's, there's hot streaks where it's like, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. And then like, yeah, there was like, four or five years where I wasn't working. It's like, it's, as a student, it's a little bit easier. But now that I'm out of school, like, it's so easy to just fall into that, like, monotonous kind of like, mo- just lit going day by day and doing the same old thing that getting to like, put in effort to the podcast and fill those creative juices is is super fulfilling and like it's 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 really fun in that regard
2: last question for you and it's the name of our podcast so what does shoulder to
3: shoulder mean to you shoulder to shoulder let's see what does shoulder to shoulder mean to me well i'm thinking shoulder to shoulder i'm thinking driving i'm like everything is covered when you're like you're from one shoulder to the next i feel like it's yeah that's what i would say it's all encompassing just getting to like be around kind of uh like uh our mutual friend like rich and and getting that kind of like just be at the stadium and meet other people like you really see how much of a community lafc is and like it's it's really like an octopus with like they obviously soccer is the number one focus but you they have like stuff like this like you guys have your podcast they had those like the skaters come through like they're really it feels like they're trying to connect with the community and because of that it's like dude it's it it's yeah shoulder to shoulder yeah it's they're they're everywhere every shoulder lafc touches every shoulder it's in los angeles no one is safe that's awesome. what it means
2: it's been a pleasure to I have love you. it i love it it's been a pleasure to have you sholo
3: I love it. love it. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me, man. Thank you all for, uh, for, for, you know, uh, for making this happen. And and hopefully, you know, once Blue Beetle comes out, we'll do the, we'll do the part two.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That would be great. We'd love to have him and keep, keep eyes posted. Blue Beetle coming out in theaters next year. Uh, This has been Sholo Maridueña. You can follow him at Sholo X O L O underscore Maridueña M A R I D U E N A. And also you can follow his podcast. At Lone Lobos, and that is with him and um Jacob is, Scott Thomas Jacob.
3: Bertrand,
1: yeah, da- Jacob Bertrand, that's <laughs> correct. Again, thank you very much, and uh, we will be right back. Hey, this is
2: John Thorrington, and you're listening to the Shoulder
3: to Shoulder podcast.
1: All
4: right, and for this week's opponent correspondent, we are going to be playing again a match against the Vancouver Whitecaps, and with us, we have a guest, his name is Samuel Rowan. And he is a representative for SB Nation for the Vancouver Whitecaps. He also hosts a podcast called The Third Sub. Uh, Samuel can be followed at Samuel underscore rowboat. And the SB Nation is at 86 forever. Uh, And The Third Sub can be followed at at Third Sub Pod and at Soccer Reporters. Samuel, thank you very much for coming on. We appreciate it.
5: Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, Looking forward to diving into it. Obviously, uh, these are teams now that you know, have a little bit of mutual history when it comes to to players, comes to coaches, so always makes it interesting.
4: Absolutely. Um, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your media outlet and uh, what you cover specifically, and where we can find uh, all of that outside of uh, anything that I had already listed?
5: Sure. I mean, that was that was quite extensive. So uh, appreciate the shout out there. But yeah, this is my fifth season now covering the Whitecaps for SB Nation. Eighty six forever, being the the Vancouver division of that. Uh, we do cover some you know, Canadian Premier League, Canadian men's national team stuff as well. Uh, it's kind of the, the scope of my work. Um, and yeah, third sub podcast, same thing, kind of white caps, Canadian men's national team and women's national team news. Um, and yeah, eighty six forever. You know, really any of the the SB Nation sites are a, are a good resource. And I've been managing the site for for three years now. We got a good little team of writers. So uh, yeah, if you ever need Whitecaps coverage, uh, some some analysis, that's always a good place to check out. But you you covered things pretty
4: well. Um, tell us a little bit about your uh, the off season the of Vancouver Whitecaps had, um, and specifically the incoming and outgoing trend, uh, acquisitions. Um, Obviously, LAFC is familiar with Tristan Blackman, uh, who used to play for us. He now is a defensive player on their team, and also Sebastian Berhalter, who is the son of the U.S. Men's National Team coach Greg Berhalter. Um, you guys had acquired him in, in a deal also. Um, so how do you feel about these two players and how they've integrated themselves into the system?
5: Yeah, I mean, Tristan Blackman, we were talking about it last night, uh, me and my podcast co-host. I think Blackman's been the best performer for the Whitecaps through three matches, um, featuring Vanny Sartini's gone with a back three. There's been no doubt about that. It's since day one. And uh, Blackman's ability on the ball, he's so comfortable. He has, you know, midfield-like qualities, uh, passing, just comfortable progressing. And that's been really good. There's opening match, which was obviously it was a tough one, a 4-0 loss to the crew. Uh, there was some problems sort of interacting down the right-hand side with the wing back, but I think that was more of an organizational issue. Blackman just kind of from a raw performance perspective has been really solid. It kind of it seemed to me at least, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that Blackman was just sort of a an expansion casualty, right? Like they knew they weren't going to be able to protect him. They had too many guys to protect, so he gets exposed to Charlotte, and then the Whitecaps are able to swoop in and say, "Hey, Charlotte, we'll give you something. We, we'd like this player." So I, it was good savvy working from Axel Schuster, I think, to make that happen uh, because Eric Godoy, who is, is a quality defender for the Whitecaps. Uh, an, an Argentine defender just can't stay healthy. Um, so they knew that that was a potential problem going into this year. That's why they filled that hole with Blackman, and I think that's been a really, really good add. In terms of Burhalter, I've been really encouraged from what I've seen. He just hasn't, he hasn't started a match yet. Uh, he's only appeared in the first match of the year, so not a ton of sample size there he might have a role in the midfield. We can talk maybe a little bit later about how the Whitecaps have really struggled through the midfield so far. Uh, So that's kind of a wait and see. And then, I mean, for any LAFC fans tuning in, also a young Ecuadorian guy, Pedro Vite, uh, was signed near the end of last season, uh, but didn't play at all for the Whitecaps, so now he's in the fold. Uh, Definitely a young one to watch. Uh, So that's not an off-season addition, but someone notable that they've sort of added for 2022.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Tristan uh, Blackman was definitely one of the players that um, LAFC fans uh, have a soft spot for, especially being the first player that we had drafted from the uh, from the draft back in uh, 2017. Um, and he debuted obviously in the 2018 season and he was an original. So, um, you know, he was, he was definitely one of those casualties of the expansion, like you had mentioned. Yeah. Um, now we're going to kind of talk about a little bit of one of the significant um, players that has left the Vancouver Whitecaps, and now he plays for LAFC, is Max Gercot. Um He has been a serious force between the pipes for Vancouver in, in recent seasons, uh, especially games against LAFC. Um, and now we're seeing this firsthand as he now plays for us. Can you talk about the club's decision to sell Max to LAFC and how your new netminder, uh, Thomas Hassall, has been doing?
5: Yeah, uh, I don't know if I would describe it as a decision to sell Max Cropot, right? It was more like Max Cropot held the gun to their head and said, this is where I need to go. And, and the details on that are still murky because it was, I mean, I would describe myself as someone that usually Whitecaps news doesn't hit me and completely blindside me, but this, no one in the media, no one in Vancouver really knew this was coming down the pipeline until we saw it leaked on Twitter essentially um, by some of the, you know, some of the guys that have sources within the league and so they know when a transaction's going down. But seems like Max Cripo, it's still hard to tell. It was kind of marketed as family reasons, but I think essentially he was really upset with the way DeSantos was let go unceremoniously uh, after the Whitecaps got knocked out of the Canadian Championship last year by a Canadian Premier League side. Uh, and Mark and Max go back to when Max was 14 years old in Quebec. So there's, it's not just a coach-player relationship there. It's, it's something deeper. And I think that had a big effect on Max. And he also maybe was looking for, for an opportunity. Um, he knows that he's the Canadian men's national team number one in, in waiting. Milan Borean's getting up in years so Max knows that spot is there for him at some point. So he's going to be thinking about his career long-term, what's best for him. I think that the thing that was tough was the way he just sort of... It felt like he abandoned the fan base. He didn't really give like a proper goodbye. It wasn't like, hey guys, I appreciate everything you've done. I, I need to make this step in my career. He just kind of left silently in the middle of the night and didn't really provide supporters an explanation. So I think that's where people in Vancouver are a little bit upset, but... Um, ultimately, you know Thomas Hassall showed at, at MLS's back a couple of years ago that he's he's got potential to be an MLS starter and uh, just needed consistent matches to kind of be able to prove that. And I think so far, other than Tristan Blackman Hassall, who's who's still just twenty one, has been one of the Whitecaps' best performers. Uh, despite the fact they've maybe struggled a little bit to to keep the ball out of their net, it hasn't been on Hassall. Uh, but obviously. You know, for LAFC, it seems like a great move because goalkeeper is a position that had been a bit of a you know a bit of a roulette table. Like you didn't know what you were going to get. Max is a is a great shot stopper. Uh, you, you know what you're going to get. You know, season in, season out, he's going to be a a top caliber MLS keeper. So it seems like a good move, and and ultimately, I don't think one that one that hurts the way caps maybe more emotionally than it does in terms of the quality of their squad. That's, that's at least how I read it.
4: Absolutely. And I think that we all are here at LAC are very excited to see how the future is going to play out with Max. We definitely like what he's brought. Um, and it's uh, unfortunate, you know, to see a player leave when you don't get that opportunity to say goodbye for th- thanks for everything that you've done. I'm interested to see how that's going to play out um, with the Vancouver Whitecaps players and, and at, later in the season when we make the trip up north yeah. to play at bc palace
5: that that's the big one like i'm very curious what the reaction both for for mark and for max as it's, it's going to
4: be really interesting speaking of Mark Dos santos um he had been with lafc in the very first season um, and then he took the job as the head coach for vancouver in starting in 2019 and like you had mentioned earlier he had gotten let go mid-season last year and now is back with lafc again um, can you speak on his tenure with Vancouver and uh, let let our listeners know a little bit about the new head coach, uh, Vanny Sartin?
5: Yeah, so I think, you know, Mark, it was tough because he definitely has potential as a coach and uh, can be a great sort of motivator of men. Like he has that, he has a good charismatic personality to really get guys behind him. But one of the problems in Vancouver was that he was, really after that season as an assistant under Bob Bradley. And then he's brought in, uh, you know, first time MLS head coach in Vancouver. He was taking on a team with massive roster turnover. Like they only had something like 10, 12 first team players at their tra- opening training camp because they were still adding players. Like it was just a complete mess. And Mark DeSantos was at that time asked to do all the recruiting work. Uh, there was no director of football. There was no GM. There was no sporting director. So Mark had to do everything, and he was a first-time head coach. And it just—it never really worked out. Sunk in. They—they they made you know bad additions. They—they they couldn't get the tactics right. Uh, the midfield was a black hole. And you know, okay, Mark was was able to make some progress at points, but then you know they're hit with COVID, and they're hit with. Um, I think a lot of people in the U.S. maybe forget sometimes that. Vancouver spent the end of not last season, but the season before in Portland, didn't play any home matches. Then a good, you know, half of last season they spent in Salt Lake. So again, you're, you're away from home for so long. You don't, you don't get that home pitch advantage. And Mark DeSantos Santos had to, to deal with all of that. So it was a really tough ask. Uh, he never really, I think, got the, the kind of perfect opportunity he was looking for. So it, it's almost tough to say um what mark could have been or what mark was as a head coach it just sort of seemed ill-fated from the beginning but then conversely Vanny sartini uh, he's been with the club for a while uh, dealt a lot prior to uh, taking on this role at the whitecaps he was essentially a coach of coaches worked a lot in the u.s uh system training training coaches he's got like you know the highest level of coaching certifications you can find on on every continent, basically. So a real student of the game, uh, but had done less work on the first team side. So he's kind of had to translate that builder um, teacher into getting performances out of the first team. And they were able to just, you know, spark something. We see teams that change Uh, managers mid-year sometimes they're able to just find that little bit of magic and they were definitely able to do that at the end of last season but now already it's it's clear the honeymoon phase is over uh so vanny's got to dig a little bit deeper in his bag of tricks try to you know rally the troops and deal with the stresses of having a team that's maybe not performing at its best so uh, i think there's a there's a lot to like about vanny but it's obviously very early in the tenure to really you know see how he can deal with the the day-to-day
4: Speaking of uh, the honeymoon being over and uh, your season not necessarily starting out ideally the way fans would like to see it, um, you guys have no wins right now, two losses and a tie um, with only one goal scored for this season. What do you feel Vancouver needs to do to right the ship?
1: Yeah,
5: I mean it's a it's a multitude of things. One that really hurts is that your your leading scorer from last season, a guy who was only there for half the year but made a huge impact, was Brian White. And Brian White uh, had a preseason injury, has been struggling to get back to fitness, and his chemistry with Ryan gold who is another mid mid season addition. Pardon me, uh, those guys just they created so much at the end of last year. They were usually the source of goals for Vancouver, and so. Missing that chemistry. Gauld hasn't played as well. Gauld also suffered a knock in the preseason. He's been able to play, but hasn't been a hundred percent. Uh, so those two guys have really hurt. And then um, someone else we could talk about is Kyle Alexandre, uh, a young Brazilian midfielder, kind of boxed box eight type, um, was penciled in as a starter central in the midfield for the White Caps, but he had he had a a foot injury last year, missed the second half of the season. Then he had visa issues at the beginning of this year, uh, couldn't get permission to work in. I can't. I think he could work in the U.S., but couldn't work in Canada or something like that, because obviously Canadian players have to um, have to make sure they've got both of those visas locked down. So uh, the midfield, the kind of double pivot that they run with Ryan Gauld above it, has been a bit of a black hole. It, 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 progress the ball. Uh, they've gotten dominated by some better teams, you know, guys like Lucas el uh, in Columbus, you know, just wreaking havoc on them and, uh, or, you know, the, the host of really talented players that NYCC has. So it's really just been the inability to progress the ball at the pitch. And then also a little bit of that chemistry up front hasn't quite been there. So one answer is Guys need to get healthy. Uh, that would certainly help. But then also, Vanny's got to find different ways to uh, get the most out of what he has. But I mean, Vancouver, as long as as long as this has been an MLS team, the issue has been high quality chances and possession in the final third. That's something they've never really had on lock, you know, for a long period of time. So that that continues to be something they seek out.
4: Uh, For those of our listeners that don't know, um, Vancouver competes in a competition known as the Cascadia Cup. Um, It is a competition between Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver. It originally had its first uh, competition in 2004, which Vancouver won, and they actually won it two years in a row, and they won it two years in a row twice for a total of six Cascadia Cups. The last Cascadia Cup that Vancouver won was in 2016, um, and based on how how often vancouver wins it it almost feels like you're due um, how do you feel about this year's cascadia cup and um what do you think and what do you think um this year's outcomes are going to be
5: Oh, that's a, I mean, they might be due, but I don't know if if this year is going to be the year. It's been tough for, for uh, Vancouver Whitecaps fans in that Cascadia rivalry because you've seen Seattle and Portland go to MLS Cups, have a ton of success. Uh, you know, Seattle um, obviously kind of dominating the league at times. Uh, it's it's been tough, especially when the Whitecaps have really struggled. Uh, and it's been more of a mixed bag this year. I mean, Seattle got off to a tough start, but I still think they're a really good team. Uh, Portland's just, they're always in it. Uh, you can never count Portland out. Uh, there's a scrappy team that, that kind of finds a way to eke out results, you know, even when they've had injuries and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I kind of picked Vancouver as a, as a fringe playoff team. I would have put Portland in the in the same, maybe Portland a little bit higher, and then and Seattle's been surprising. But I think those those other two Cascadian rivals are playoff teams. So you know Vancouver's in tough. I think it'll be hopefully competitive, but I I can't say that I predict uh, the Whitecaps coming out on top. But I will say that you know just for those that that haven't experienced it, really whether it's an away day or a home day, whenever it's Cascadian rivals matching off against one another, the the supporters' environments the the feeling in those stands is always uh, really special. I think it's a it's a great tradition, and uh, ones that the supporters groups I think have a lot of uh, a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement for. Especially again, since the Whitecaps had been away from home for so long, and like you know. Southsiders, one of the biggest supporters groups in Vancouver, hadn't really had the ability to travel down to Seattle, travel down to Portland. Uh, something that I missed out on too, because that used to be something you could you could make the trip and, and and go cover the match. And so it's gonna be really great to have that back this year, which I think will will add a lot of juice to a rivalry which just isn't the same when there's half capacity or you know, fans can't travel and stuff like that.
4: I tell you, you know, I'm I am in. Of that rivalry that you guys have, and it's a very special environment. I personally haven't seen it, but you know, uh, firsthand in in person. But you see it on television, and you see the rivalry. And you know, I would love it if California ended up having something similar to where the three teams compete. And if there's ever any future expansion teams that we have our own, um, I think that that would just help to build uh, the soccer culture here in California. And it, it just looks like a.
5: It's funny because they. With You know, MLS does the Rivalry Weeks, and they've they've tried to market over the years. San Jose and Vancouver have been featured on Rivalry Week, and we talk with people from San Jose. We, we talk about it up in Vancouver. It's like, what's the deal here? Because uh, Vancouver does kind of play third wheel in a number of rivalries, right? So you got, obviously, Seattle and Portland's kind of the feature rivalry at Cascadia. And then Canadian, you've got Montreal and Toronto, which go way back as well. Uh, and then Vancouver's kind of they're the third Canadian team. They're still, you know, uh, Vancouverites don't like losing to TFC, don't like losing to CF Montreal, but it's not quite the same as a Montreal-Toronto or a Seattle-Portland. So uh, it is really fantastic, but there is a bit of like a, a second fiddle type complex at times with those rivalries.
4: You know, and it's just one of those ones or two where you look at um... – you know toronto and cf montreal in the proximity of the two teams and then you look at uh los angeles galaxy and lafc in the proximity of the two teams and that might be a reason for the outlier of san jose yeah and there's Vancouver. something
5: you you can't uh you can't really replicate that right like if it's a if it's a one hour train ride a one hour car a, you know a bus whatever like that you just you know, or you have kind of the border between cities where some people are fans of one team, some people are fans of the other. You can't can't replicate that. And ultimately, Vancouver is, whether it's travel, um, whether it's rivalries, very isolated in, in pro sports in general, uh, especially, you know, before Seattle kind of accumulated some more teams. So uh, that's that's always something that I think Vancouver's had to deal with as a sports city. Uh,
4: shifting gears to this weekend, what are some of your expectations for this week? and that you are expecting to see?
5: I mean, I think we wrote on our, on our show notes last night, like, you know, hold on for dear life. That's that's kind of what it feels like. I think Vancouver's just trying to get into the international break, like, alive. If they could scrape out a point, uh, you know, get a scrappy 1-1 draw or something like that, I think you'd be reasonably happy. Again, they're just, like, Brian White, I don't think, is going to be available this week. Uh Kyle Chandre probably not available. So eh, it's just going to be tough. I think you. I mean, this is an LAFC show, obviously, but from like an external perspective, the way uh your team was able to just like add a guy like Elie Sanchez in the offseason, it's just like, man, where, where, where are those kind of, you know, within MLS moves for the Whitecaps, they could have used. Um, some veteran quality midfielders and I, I've been really impressed with the way LAFC has been able to lose some big names and just sort of retool things on the fly so I think that midfield battle is something to watch out for because those guys could overrun the White Caps. the Caps like to play I think at their best they're not like a high possession team especially when they go on the road it'll be direct route one sort of decisive counter uh, so Vancouver has to be thinking they can, you know, maybe bag one early on, take control of the match a little bit and settle things down from there and get at least a point out of it. But I don't know. I, I mean, if, you know, if I had to predict right now, I'm going to say that LAFC probably takes it. A, that That's certainly the way it's feeling at the moment.
4: Yeah. And I, I think too, that with having Mark Dos Santos and uh, Max Cropot having, uh, I think there's a little bit of that emotion in this match. And so I think that, they are uh, really going to look to try and keep that niche and to have the players understand that are in the locker room, that this means a little bit more to them. And uh, yeah. I think that they have something that they want to prove.
5: Daniil Henry too, who's been away since, but another former white cap that uh, that's been added. So yeah. that And obviously Daniil history with Mark history with a couple of the guys on the team. So that's a, uh, yeah, that's something to watch for as well.
4: Absolutely. Well, Thank you very much, Sam. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Again, this is Samuel Rowan. Uh, He is at Samuel underscore rowboat. He writes for SB Nation, the Vancouver coverage at 86 Forever, which is at 86 Forever. He is also a co-host of the Third Sub Podcast, which you can find at Third Sub Pod and at Soccer Reporters. Uh, Again, thank you very much. We really appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you again.
5: Yeah, looking forward to the
1: match. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, we'll chat again, hopefully at some point. All right. Well, again, thank you very much, Samuel. We really appreciate you coming on. And uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with our expectations and uh, preview for this upcoming match against Vancouver. Hey, what's up, everybody? This
2: is Alexis Guerreros. I'm the fat guy on the Cooligans. You're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast.
0: All right, gentlemen, Samuel has just got us all prepped up for our predictions for this match. So let's go ahead and dive into our game versus the Whitecaps. We are seeing Crepeau, Henry, and Mark Dos Santos face their previous team. We are seeing the return of Tristan Blackman to the bank. Vancouver, as we've just discussed, having a rough start to their system. Zero wins, two losses, and a draw. They are currently in last place. They do have some good pieces in Cavani and Gold, but... They're still without their U-22 initiative signing in Cayo Alexandre. So let's go ahead and dive into our game predictions. Chris, we started off with you last time. So Christian, let's go ahead and kick it off with you, brother.
2: I'm predicting a 2-1 victory. I think it's going to be a difficult game. And um, Cavallini was able to score this past weekend. I think he might get another one. But I can't tell you who's going to score from three. But I'm really hoping that Chicho gets on the score sheet and that I need to get on the score sheet. And that's my two-one prediction. Looking forward to it.
1: I'm not going to be able to go to the match this weekend, but for those that are going, cheer on my behalf. So I said that LAFC would win last week. I think it was three to one, maybe it was two to one. But the fact is, is that I said that uh, Max Krpo was going to let one in. This week, I'm predicting that Max Krpo is not going to let any in, and that he's going to have a shutout against his old team. I think that he's going to be a little extra motivated in this match. And so because of that, I think that he's going to he's going to keep the shutout and he's going to get the uh, 32-52 player of the match. I also think that uh, we're going to we're going to definitely have an opportunity to get three goals. It's going to be from three different players. And uh, I think that it's just going to be a showcase of our ability and show that uh, LAFC is back to their scoring ways.
0: All right. I do think it is advantage Kripo in this game, having known the tendencies and watched this team extensively, obviously last season. I think that does give Kripo an advantage. I'm going to go ahead and say that the Whitecaps get one goal and it's going to be off the head of Tristan Blackman. I think Tristan Blackman finds the back of the net on a corner for one goal for them. I do think offensively, We are going to have a chance in this game to play a little bit more free flowing, a little bit more beautiful football, another week of Dolo system being implemented another week of health for some of these players. I think we are going to get three goals and I do think the game finishes three to one. I'm going to be racing against the clock to make it. So if you see me out on the lane or you see me, you know that I I have making it there in time. Philly and I are flying back from Chihuahua for some MASL duties that morning and I know we arrive in Tijuana around 3 30 so if we can make it through customs and scoot to the bank as quickly as possible hopefully we make it there in time for kickoff And I'm looking forward to seeing all of you out there I just hope we have a full stadium a loud stadium and if those two things happen then I know the results on the pitch will come after that and uh, I I do think we're going to go ahead and it's first place versus last place I mean come on how can you predict anything other than a W? I am not as optimistic in my scoreline as perhaps I was versus Miami. Uh, tongue in cheek, I do not think this will be a 10-0 victory, but I do think 3-1 makes sense to me. But with that, that's going to go ahead and wrap us up for episode 111 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Thank you all for listening. As always, you can find us at lafcs S2S, and please reach out if you'd like to come on and join us. We'd love to hear your black and gold story. But thank you for listening. Take us home, sticks. Showed up, to showed up. Together this our culture. Fill the force up a supernova. Stay flying at FC Dorsum. Hey, shopping down the Nikki's Korea town lady. keep of so mommy, about to drop her fit. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, i defend that
4: bank.